In this series of podcasts, your legal team at Dawson Hart Solicitors will demonstrate how they provide a comprehensive legal service across a wide range of matters with their usual personal and approachable touch. We are here for your family, your business and you. Welcome to Dawson Hart. I'm Paul Harvey and welcome to the Dawson Hart Solicitors series of podcasts. Today we're covering issues of probate and wills and I'm with Jenny Mayhew. Welcome Jenny. Before we embark on these important topics, Jenny could you tell us what you specialise in at Dawson Hart? Yes, I'm a solicitor and a director of Dawson Hart and I specialise in private client matters which includes things like wills, probate um, and powers of attorney. Okay, so let's start off with probate. Jenny, what is probate? Probate is a term which lots of people have heard, but they really don't know what it is, which is quite understandable. Basically, it's a document which is issued by the court, and that's the probate registry being a a part of the court, and it confirms that personal representatives are entitled to act in the administration of an estate. So the difference between grants of probate and a grant of letters of administration. There is a difference, and they all come under the term of personal representatives. If you have a grant of probate, that is where um, you have a will, and that appoints executors. And a grant of letters of administration is where you don't have a will, which is called an intestacy. And there, the personal representatives are called the administrators. Right, so you mentioned executor there. So what steps need to be taken by the executor when somebody dies? Well, being an executor or administrator is a very important task. And there are lots of things that need to be done. The first thing is that you need to register the death. And that's a formal process with the registrar of births, marriages and deaths. Nowadays, since COVID, it's generally done over the telephone. But before that, you used to have to attend in person. Once that's done... You have to arrange the funeral and you might be guided by what's in the will, for example, or the person who has died may have made their wishes known in the past. But basically, you have to arrange the funeral and make sure that that takes place. So the next thing you need to do is to find out about the assets and liabilities of the deceased. And you have to get valuations of them, too. With regard to property, houses, land, you probably need an actual survey from an estate agent or a surveyor because it's very, very important you get the valuations right for inheritance tax purposes. Other valuations might be required for things like jewelries or chattels. And chattels is your movable furniture, your cars, generally your movable objects. So once you've ascertained the assets and liabilities, You then prepare the inheritance tax form and you pay any inheritance tax which is due. Now, this can be quite complicated because there are all sorts of rules and regulations which need to be followed. And there are a whole raft of allowances and reliefs which can be claimed. So you need to get those right so that you are paying the correct amount of inheritance tax. After that's been done, you have to prepare a legal statement and that's a formal document which you submit to the probate registry and that confirms the identity of the executors and it's in a document in which the executors also promise that they are going to do the job, they're going to administer the estate and make sure that everything gets to where it needs to go to under the terms of the will or the intestacy. So once you've got a grant... You then have to actually deal with the assets. At that stage, you can sell or you can transfer the house. 
you can sell or transfer shares, you can encash bank accounts and investments and transfer them if necessary. So there's a lot to do there. You have to also deal with income tax and capital gains tax. So you have to contact HMRC. You have to make sure that the tax position up to the date of death is finalised. And then you have to report to HMRC with regard to tax issues during the administration period. And dealing with HMRC, it can take quite a long time. So it will often delay the completion of the administration of the estate. But it's really important that it's done so you can draw a line under everything and make sure that HMRC isn't going to come back to you in the future. And then once you've done all of that, you're then in a position to distribute the estate in accordance with the terms of the will or the intestacy. And that can sometimes, as I've said, involve actually transferring a house or shares or investments to somebody, or it'll be paying out cash to people and making sure that they get what they're Mm. due under the terms of the will of the intestacy. Okay, I guess the important question here is, at what point should I have come to you for advice? You need to come to me at an early stage because it's important that you get things right. Usually people will contact me as soon as somebody has died and we'll have an initial chat, talk about procedure, what's going to be done in the future. And then they'll go away and they'll take their time in arranging the funeral because that's the most important thing to begin with. And then once the funeral is dealt with, then clients will come back and we'll have a proper discussion about what's going to be done and who's going to do what so that everything is covered. So the real pitfalls, if people try and do a lot of this without consulting a lawyer, they're going to run into problems. They might do, not always, but there are a lot of things that if you don't know it, you don't Mm. know it. Mm. For example, claiming the right amount of reliefs and allowances for inheritance tax purposes is crucial. And it can also have a knock-on effect when, for example, the second of a couple dies. So on the first death, it may be relatively simple, but you need to make sure that everything is done in the right way so that when the second person dies of a couple, then everything is in order and the correct amount of allowances and reliefs are available Okay, let me give you an example question. I've been appointed as an executor, but I don't want to act. What can I do? Well, that's quite a common question. And there are various things that can be done. People may decide that they don't want to act as an executor for all sorts of reasons. They may not feel up to it. They may be a long way away and feel that they really can't put in the time and the effort uh, that needs to be done. So there are various things that can be done. You can, for example appoint somebody to be your power of attorney for taking out a grant of probate. And in that case, you remain the person who is in charge of everything. But you you say to an attorney, well, actually, you do it on my behalf on this occasion. So it's a very specific type of power of attorney. It's not a normal lasting power of attorney, which many people will have for their other personal affairs. The next thing that you can do is you can just step back and that's called power reserved. And that means that your other co-executors will go forward, they will sign the legal statement, they will deal with the inheritance tax forms, they will have the grant of probate taken out in their name. But you have power reserved to you and that means that if 
in the future the main executor can't carry on with the job for whatever reason then there is power for you to step back into the shoes of the executor and act and the other thing that you can do is actually to renounce and you can do that if you haven't what's called intermeddled which basically means just doing anything with regard to the estate and if you haven't intermeddled with the estate then you can sign a renunciation which basically is as if you had never been appointed as an executor and there you have no chance of becoming executor in the future you have cut all ties with being the executor so those are your three main options thank you jenny that's nice and clearly explained thank you so i have another question i'm entitled to a share of the estate under a will or in testacy but i want to give it to somebody else what can i do Again, that's a scenario which comes up very frequently and somebody may decide that they don't need the assets, for example. It may be if your parent has died and assets are left to the children, but the children are well established and they think actually our children could do with the assets now at their stage of life. So there are two main things that you can do. The first is that you can make a gift out of your own assets. So you receive the assets from the estate and then you decide to make a gift of it yourself. Now that has implications in that you have to live for seven years from making that gift before the value of it falls out of your estate for inheritance tax purposes. So the alternative, which is commonly done, is to sign what's called a deed of variation. And a deed of variation is a document which you sign within two years of the date of death and it in effect rewrites the will as if the person who had died had in fact made a gift to that other beneficiary. So the effect of that is the person who is giving up the entitlement, it doesn't have any implications on their tax affairs. So it's, it's a very useful way of passing assets from, for example, a grandparent to grandchildren, thus bypassing the parent. Jenny, can we move on to wills now? And uh, I guess you've been extremely busy through this pandemic in terms of having will writing requests put to you. But could you please explain what is a will? Let's get a definition from you. A will is a document which sets out who receives your assets after you die and also ensures that all your affairs will be put into place um, once you have died. And what formalities must be observed to have a valid will in place? Well, this is really important because if it's not done properly, a will will be invalid. So the will must be in writing and it must be signed by the person who's writing the will. And that person is called the testator. And it must be signed by the testator in the presence of two witnesses who must also sign the will at the same time. Now you mentioned COVID and the current times and yes you're right we have been extremely busy and one of the problems which COVID has brought up is not being able to meet people. Mm. So the legal profession has changed the rules very slightly to allow remote signing and in that case you can have for example a Zoom meeting with the testator and the two witnesses being in different places but they're on the same zoom call and in that case the testator can sign in the presence of the two witnesses and then the will is sent to the two witnesses 
who then sign. Now, obviously, this can cause all sorts of problems. For example, the witnesses have to actually see the testator signing. And and we all know from Zoom calls (laughs) that you don't necessarily usually see the face, but you don't see what the hands are doing. So the testator has actually got to get themselves in a position where the two witnesses can actually see the signature being made. And then, of course, there are all sorts of problems with what if, once the will has been sent off to the witnesses, what if the testator actually dies in the meantime? or if the will gets lost in the post, for example. So these are all sorts of issues. And basically, if it hasn't been signed by all three people, then it's not going to be a valid will. Mm. So it does cause all sorts of problems. And it's best if you can have your two witnesses in the same locality, even if it's the other side of a window, for example, or out in the garden. It's all doable. But there are ways that you can get around it. And as I say, this remote will signing is a possibility and we're certainly very very keen that everybody gets a will because only about half of adults have a valid will and so there is all sorts of scope for things going wrong um, because people making assumptions why they don't need to have a will when in fact it's going to cause all sorts of problems if they don't have a will and i guess you firmly recommend that people don't try and do this themselves especially in this particular climate Well, the problem with doing your own will is you don't know what really should be in it. And you assume that everything you put down is very clear, but it may not be. I mean, a lot of people realise that wills that are prepared by solicitors have quite a lot of really gobbledygook. But in fact, that is language which has evolved over the years, over many, many years, and been tried and tested in courts. And so the legal profession know what those particular words mean, and there can be no ambiguity with them so the other problem with doing your own will is that you only find out or somebody only finds out if it works and if it's valid when somebody has died and by that stage it's too late generally to put it right are there other things that you want to mention that are covered in a will there are all sorts of things that should be covered very important is your executors And these are the people that do the hard work and make sure that everything is gathered in and then distributed properly. These people, they must be trusted people. You can have between one and four executors and you must know that they're going to get on and be proactive. I've dealt with estates where a couple of executors have been appointed and they just don't get on with each other. And then nothing happens with the estate and it drags on and on and the assets just don't get to where they're meant to go, which is very, very sad. The other sort of things that you may put in your will is you can appoint guardians for minor children. Generally, if you've got a a married couple, when one dies, the other one, so long as they've got parental responsibility, will have the children, have responsibility for them. But certainly if both parents have died, it's really useful to appoint guardians for minor children, for somebody that you know and that you have appointed Mm. to look after your children. Other things that could be put in wills, things like funeral wishes. Now, this can be very helpful because many clients of mine will phone me and say, so-and-so has just died. Is there anything in the will about funeral directions? Because most people want to do the right thing by the person that has died. And if that person has got a particular wish to be cremated or to be buried, then it's nice for those executors to know what those wishes are so that they can fulfil them. Other things that you might do, you might make cash gifts to family, to friends, to charities. 
You might also make gifts of chattels, and those are your movable objects. And you can either put those in the will itself, so you can say, I leave my jewellery to my daughter, for example, or we can put a more flexible clause in the will, which says, I leave all my chattels to my executors and ask them to distribute them in accordance with any list which I leave with my will. And there on the list, you can put that you leave your jewellery to the daughter, that you leave your car to so-and-so, that you leave the grandfather clock to somebody else. Um, and that can be a very useful and effective way of dealing with your chattels. Of course, it's really important to make sure that those chattels are identifiable. So if you've got, for example, two diamond rings, that you actually identify which diamond ring is to go to which person. I've known clients to take photographs of chattels, to put stickers underneath them, for example, or to take their executors around the house with them and point out various objects. And it sounds a bit funny, but actually it's really useful to do that. It saves time and argument and anguish in the future. Other things you can deal with are your business interests. So if you have shares in your own family company or partnership, for example, you can deal with those in your will. But it's really important that you check the company articles of association or shareholder agreement or a partnership deed to make sure that they are compatible with the wishes in the will. Because what you don't want to do is define that somebody has died and the will says one thing, but the company or partnership documents say something else that can cause all sorts of problems. So it's a good thing to do as part of your will review, making a will, to check that those terms are compatible. Another thing that you might want to deal with, which not everybody thinks about, is actually your pets and your animals. Because let's face it, our pets are very, very important to us. They're a big part of our lives. And when you die, it can be very important to know that the right person is going to look after your animals. I've dealt with wills where we deal not only with dogs and cats, but also with parrots and even with llamas. It's really important because if somebody dies and they've got some llamas, you want to know who is going to be there to look after them. So it's a good thing to think ahead to who's going to look after your animals. And then, of course, the other thing is your residuary estate. And that's everything else which is left after you've given away your chattels, any cash gifts, for example. And your residuary estate is usually dealt with by giving percentages. And it might be to your spouse, it might be to your children, friends, other relations, or to charity. Thank you, Jenny. Are there some things that we must remember about there, wills? There are. There are some very important things that people sometimes forget, and uh, they're pretty crucial, really. The first mm -hmm. thing to remember is that a will is automatically revoked if you get married or enter into a civil partnership. So that can trap a lot of people out. They don't realise that. You can get around it by making a will in contemplation of a marriage or civil partnership ceremony. And so long as it specifically states in the will that the will is made in contemplation of the marriage or civil partnership, then the will isn't revoked by the ceremony. So that's really important to remember. The other thing which people often aren't aware of is that a divorce does not revoke your will. It does have the effect that any reference to a spouse is 
in effect deleted from a will, but the rest of the will remains in force. So, for example, if you have left a legacy or or some gift to an in-law, for example, that gift will probably still be valid, even though you've got divorced. So if you get divorced, again, it's a good time to review your will and check that everything in the will is as you need it to be. Another thing which people often forget is that beneficiaries can be appointed as executors. Some people come to me and say that they can't appoint their children, for example, as their executors because they're also going to be beneficiaries. I think that a lot of people are getting confused with the fact that a beneficiary cannot witness a will. If they do witness a will, the will is valid, but the gift to that particular beneficiary is not valid at all and the beneficiary cannot take that gift very frequently asked question i guess jenny is what happens if i don't have a will when i die good question and a very very important one because Mm. in that case the rules of intestacy apply and these are a set of rules set down by law which dictate what happens to your estate if you die without a will and they can sometimes have some quite devastating consequences for example if you have a surviving spouse then the surviving spouse receives the chattels, those are the movable objects, and a large cash legacy. But the rest of it is divided equally between the surviving spouse and any children. If you don't have a surviving spouse or children, then it's going to be distributed to your nearest relatives. If your parents are still alive, they're going to inherit. It might otherwise be your siblings, for example, or it could then go down to nephews and nieces. And sometimes this can really be against what people would want if they died, because they may not get on with their siblings, or it may not make sense for their estate to pass back up to their parents, who were then going to pass it back down to other people. So it can have some some pretty nasty consequences for who it inherits, and also sometimes the inheritance tax. Sure. And I guess some people don't have a will because of certain common misconceptions as well. Well, that's right. And this is very sad. Um, Sometimes this happens. For example, if somebody has been separated from their spouse, uh, but they've never actually got divorced, they often assume that their spouse won't get anything under the terms of an intestacy. And that's untrue. The law is very black and white. If you're married, you're married, even if you haven't seen your spouse or heard from them for the past 20 or 30 years, for example. So you definitely need a will in that situation to dictate what is going to happen to your assets. Otherwise, they are going to go to this estranged spouse. And conversely, if you're not married, but you've lived with a partner for many 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 years and you're really just like a married couple then it's often assumed that that partner is going to get everything anyway and that again is untrue certain jointly held property may pass automatically to the partner but anything which is held in your sole name is going to go under the rules of intestacy if you die without a will and not going to go to that partner. So again, this is an instance where it's really, really important that you get a will to make sure that your partner is properly provided for. Otherwise, in all these instances, it could end up with a contentious probate situation and that is somewhere where you really don't want to go because they are stressful and they're time-consuming and also very, very expensive Jenny, thank you for making those points very clear. Is there anything else you want to bring into this podcast? 
the only thing I would say is to encourage everybody to get a will and once they have a will to keep it under regular review you need to be thinking about your will every year just thinking has anything different changed in my my life uh, my assets people in my life for example and get advice with regard to the inheritance tax laws which do change and every five years have a really good think about your will get them out review it and seek some professional advice Thank you very much, Jenny, for making things much clearer about probate and wills. Jenny, can you just remind us all about your contact details? Absolutely. You can phone me on my direct dial, which is 01825 747 129, or you can email me at jm at dawson-heart.co.uk, or you can just look us up on the website and get all our details of me and my colleagues, and we'll all be very happy to help you. So Jenny Mayhew from Dawson Heart Solicitors, thank you very much indeed. Make Dawson Heart Solicitors your first choice for legal services on matters that affect your family, your business and you. Welcome to Dawson Heart. For more information, go to dawson-heart.co.uk. Information in this podcast does not constitute legal advice and we therefore accept no liability.